0: have you here. If um, you or nobody, anyone else on your aisle didn't get a communion cup, maybe uh, Steve could, uh, one of the Steves, Sue, we have like three Steves in the church. We have a trinity of Steves and two of them just stood up. So that was very confusing all at once, right? But uh, if you didn't get one of these, could you raise your hand and um, they'll, the basket will come around and uh, we'll get you a communion cup. And it's just important because this is really the heart of our message today is sharing in The Lord's Supper together so a couple of quick announcements really the pastor's family oh man I walked over to him and said don't forget to get a communion cup all right so uh, (laughs) a quick couple quick announcements number one uh, card ministry the card ministry team you guys will not be meeting for the next couple of months as Linda will be out of town and uh, won't be able to lead us in the stamping and crafting so uh, no cards for the next couple of months and then um, just reminder men's ministry was great. Those of you who missed it yesterday. Uh, we'll have another men's breakfast first Saturday in July. That's leading right up to July 4th. I understand that, but uh, still going to get together and eat some food and talk about Jesus a little bit. So encourage all the guys to join us. And uh, then 1829. we'll see you guys again in uh, just a couple of Fridays. So Uh, I was thinking breakfast for dinner. We'll see how that works out. Does that sound okay? Any, any, yes? Okay. Wow, okay. Clearly Mandy's in on this. Um, (laughs) So that's where we'll head then is breakfast for dinner. I'll let you know what you need to bring. Um, (laughs) Clearly not your passion. I mean, you've got that already. I don't need to remind you. So uh, we are going to continue our series on the Christ, looking at the Gospel of Mark. So if you have got your Bibles want to encourage you to open them up to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25, and uh, it also should be on your Bible app. If you've got the Bible app, look for our event for the day, and you should be able to find that in there. Uh, the, the sermon series, the sermon message all laid out in the verses for you. So this is really a, a short little passage because we're going to spend a few moments in the passage itself, and then we're going to spend some time going throughout Scripture in the New Testament to understand the importance of what Jesus institutes here. So up until this point, we have already experienced so much with Jesus, about three years' worth of ministry, and then here, uh, since we got into chapter 11, the last week of his life before crucifixion, and then chapter 14 here begins the last day or so leading up to his crucifixion. So yesterday, or last Sunday, uh, we looked at the disciples gathering together, Jesus letting them know that one of them would betray him, and, and just how God's plan continues on, and God is sovereign, and God has ordained things, and yet our choices matter. And so we come to this experience with Jesus, and it is this Passover meal that he's having with his disciples that is continuing. And uh, Jesus, then during the course of the Passover meal, uh, gives us some new ways to experience it. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read just verses 22 through 25 here this morning before we dive into trying to understand what's going on here. So uh, starting in verse 22 of chapter 14, and as they were eating, So in the course of the Passover meal, uh, Jesus spends some time with his disciples, giving them a new way to relate to the components of this meal. So just a little bit of history, because not many of us, or not all of us at least, have done Passover. How many of you guys have ever done a Passover meal with with family or friends? Cool. It's it's a good experience. It's actually, it's on our bucket list for the next year or two. Uh, It was something we wanted to do last year. And then COVID, of course, kind of threw that off. And then this year, we, we still weren't quite up to speed. So hopefully in 2022, we will be doing a Passover uh, Haggadah Seder leading up to uh, Easter. And so we can understand what happened here a little bit more. But, but uh, just to kind of give you the flyover, the overview. Of course, it was a regular meal. Passover was instituted in Exodus It's a command of God to celebrate this meal every year to remember the passing over of the angel of death uh, for the children of Israel, and also how that same angel came and killed all the firstborn among Egypt, and that was that last plague that triggered the exodus, uh, God's people being freed from slavery in Egypt. And so there was this meal, and this meal really was, was very simple, it's just... Uh, a lamb who that was slaughtered appropriately and its blood was put on the doorposts and then uh, it was roasted over the fire it wasn't supposed to be boiled you weren't supposed to break the bones and then you also had some herbs and some fruit and vegetables and bread and it wasn't complex but it was a a common meal minus the, the 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 meat probably for for the people of this day Uh, meat was actually not a normal part of their diet. It was something that was extra. It was celebratory. It was special. And so, um, This meal was unique and and when jesus and the disciples were celebrating it If they were celebrating it on the same night as everyone else All over jerusalem the same thing would have been happening everyone Joining together at sundown and sharing in this meal around low set tables as they reclined and they would have had uh Lots of unleavened bread, which was also part of the Exodus experience as well. They would have had four cups of wine per person. Um, now, whether that was one cup filled four times or four distinct cups just depends on your, uh, your wealth sta- and status. But, uh, and, and this would have been a, a ceremony of a meal. Not just, all right, everybody, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, and you know start, start to, to, to eat. But instead, it was a process that the family would have gone through, and um, this this meal was important, it was meaningful, and every part of the meal, the lamb, the the herbs, the bread, had significance, and they had meaning, and as the meal unfolded, the meaning and the significance of those elements would have been described, and would have um, been celebrated throughout the course of the meal, and so what you've got is, Uh, just a a general layout of the meal is is first there would be a a blessing of of the bread and the wine and everybody would partake of the first cup of wine together and then then there would be a kind of veggie appetizers Uh, you know not not quite the same way as we do it no tempura or anything no wasabi sauce but uh the meal would have begun by just kind of you know breaking the fast of the day and, and and just unloading for a few minutes with some fresh vegetables and just enjoying some time together. And then after that, there would have been uh, the, the, what would happen is questions and explanations. And, and so the, another cup of wine comes after these questions and explanations in which the children were tasked with asking, why are we doing this? And uh, in fact, the script in English is, uh, why is this night different from other nights? Why are we behaving like this? Why is this meal unique? And it was the father's role to then explain the significance of the lamb and how it was sacrificed in order to protect from the angel of death and and that angel passed over. To explain the bread and, and the other components that reminded them of the labor, that reminded them of the speed of their flight. Um, to explain the bitter herbs that were part of the meal and how the bitter herbs reminded the Israelites of their slavery and the bitterness of their captivity. And and so all of this together would have unfolded. And and then after the the questions and the explanations, uh, the the bread would have been blessed and it would have been broken and distributed. And then they would have uh, eaten the full meal together And then after they were done eating their meal, they would have had the third cup of wine. And um, that third cup is called the cup of blessing. And and then they would have wrapped up the the meal, wrapped up the explanations, wrapped up the celebration. And then as they were closing out, they would have had their fourth cup of wine. And each of these cups is just significant of, of God's blessing and God's provision and what God had done for his people. And so this meal wasn't just like, hey, Christmas dinner, let's eat, but it was significant, and every element had its place in the life of of the Jewish people in celebrating what God had done for them. So Jesus and his disciples are partaking of this meal together, and Jesus is serving in the role of the father, not Father God, right, but the father of the family, the pater familias, He was serving in that role and he was leading the meal. So as they come to the first cup of wine, he's the one that says the initial blessing and to begin their time together. As they they, um, come to the time of questions and explanations, I don't don't know who would have been asking the questions. Maybe the youngest disciple, which would have been John. Um, Interestingly enough, we think that Mark, this was Mark's house, And Mark was just a teenager at this time. Maybe he was hanging out in the corner and got to ask the questions. Uh, You know, that's all speculative. Don't go home and quote me on that. Don't put that on the internet like, my pastor said Mark asked the questions at Jesus' Passover meal. No, I just said maybe. Isn't it fun to think of that kind of stuff? But what we do know for sure is they shared in this meal together. And then after this questions and explanations, this is when the bread, the unleavened bread, would have been blessed and broken. And we think that this is the time in the Passover meal that verse 22 happens. That as the bread, this unleavened bread, what we today have is is matzah, you know, the crackery stuff. But that's probably nothing like what they had in Jesus' day. Instead, more like a, a really, really flat tortilla, you know, kind of bread. Something that had some body and some life to it, but no leaven in it. And so they, they are getting ready to, to partake of the full meal. And so as they're eating a little bit and they're getting ready for this moment, Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and it gives it to all the disciples, which is something that, according to the, the outline, happens just before the full meal takes place. And he says to them, take, this is my body. Now, the bread had always up to this point been a remembrance of the the speed with which the Israelites had to flee Egypt. They didn't even have time for their bread to rise properly, so they ate unleavened bread as they left Egypt. But what Jesus is doing is he is taking this bread, and and much like it had been serving a, a role of reminding the Israelites of their speed in fleeing Egypt, now he was saying to his disciples and all who would come after, I want you to think of something different when you eat this bread. I want you to remember something different. And so because this this meal is already so rich in symbols, it's already so rich in celebration of what God has done, we need to understand that Jesus was not just giving us some sort of rote recitation or little, little tiny, yeah, do this because you have to. But it's supposed to be an experience where we linger, where we celebrate together. And Jesus says to his disciples and he says to us today, when you take this bread, I want you to see it as my body. Now, other of the gospels tell us that it is his body given for us. And it helps us to understand that what he means is this is representative of his flesh being given for us at the crucifixion. So he would have blessed the bread, he would have passed it out, they would have eaten the the full meal, and then they would have partaken of that third cup of wine, the cup of blessing. And we, we think it's most likely that Jesus took that third cup and changed it up a little bit. And he says to them, he takes a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And so he is opening the door to a new understanding of this cup of wine. As part of the Passover meal, he wants his disciples to look at the bread as his body given for them. He wants them to look at the cup of wine, this third cup of blessing, as his blood shed for them. And, and there's, these, there's so many words here that are just like, whoa, his blood of the covenant. Now, you might go, what could Jesus possibly mean by that? Well, what we understand in the Old Testament, in Exodus, is that when God's people made their covenant with God, they said, we will follow you, we will follow the Ten Commandments, you will be our God, we will be your people. What happened next was a ceremony in which Moses... And those who were helping him, they sacrificed animals in order to shed their blood as as offerings to God. And then they took the blood of the animals and they sprinkled it over all the people. And that blood of the animals sprinkled over all of the people in attendance was the blood of the covenant. The contract that they made with God where God said, You'll be my people, I'll be your God, you just need to walk with me in these ten simple ways. Oh, and a few addendums as we go along. But, but it is the blood of the covenant. So when Jesus talks about the blood of the covenant, his blood being the blood of the covenant, he's saying God is establishing a brand new contract, and my blood sprinkled on you is what seals it. And, and he says it is to be poured out in the Greek this, this word poured out, this is not some sort of like simple, oh, you know, poured out. The, the, the Greek is a violent word here. And he's actually implying it will, be, it will be gushing forth. It will be violently shed for many. So Jesus takes the bread and says, I want you to remember my body when you partake of it. And he takes this cup and he says, I want you to remember my blood. When you drink of it. And then he says this to his disciples. He says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I I will never partake. I will not partake of wine like this again until I am in the full, completely established kingdom of God. And that comes about in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, where we have the wedding feast. Of Jesus and his church and we are brought together and we celebrate and we think that that is likely the time when Jesus drinks of the fruit of the vine again so what we have here and you're like it's only 1117 and we're already through all the verses we're dismissed um, no you know better than that what we have here is we're left with bread and the, the wine or the juice the cup and, and, and so you, you should have one now, and we're not going to touch it yet other than just to look and, and to ponder and, and to understand that's what we're talking about. And as we talk about it, we can use any number of phrases or words to talk about what Jesus has instituted here. Uh, in, in our tradition, we'll call it the Lord's Supper, or we'll call it communion. Some, some traditions call it Eucharist, and that is not a card game. It is instead, it is a word that comes from the Greek word Eucharistio, and it literally means Thanksgiving. So if someone says they're celebrating Eucharist, you don't go, oh no, what kind of weird ritual is that? It's the same thing that we're talking about when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, or Communion. But you're going to find the word Eucharist used in more traditional settings or more liturgical settings like the Catholic Church, potentially the Lutheran Church, the Anglican Church. But we're going to use, more often than not, in our tradition, the word communion. And why do we use the word communion? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he is talking about this experience together. And he says, "...the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ?" The bread that we break, it is—is is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And you might go, "What?" Well, let's talk about it a little bit because communion is supposed to be not just this thing where we we do um, th- this little practice—you know, we eat the little dry wafer, we drink the funky juice, and we say everything's good. But instead, it should be a practice of understanding that when we partake of the bread, we're not just eating a crouton. We are instead taking the work of Christ on the cross into our life. We are saying, what Jesus did in his body, he did it for me. And and so... It's not just eating the bread, but it literally is to what Jesus said, to eat his flesh. In other words, to acknowledge a full participation in what he did for you on the cross. When we drink of the cup, we understand it's the body. It is, we're not just drinking juice, but we are drinking symbolically the blood of Christ. In other words, taking upon ourselves, taking within ourselves this promise of a new contract, a new covenant. And the forgiveness of sins. And so we don't just eat something and drink something, but we are supposed to be communing with Christ. We're supposed to be taking Him in that we might look more like Him. We're supposed to be recognizing what He has done for us when He shed His blood, when He gave His body. And not only is it an individual thing, but as we eat funky wafers and weird juice and suffer together, right, um, we, we understand that we are one body, that the very same Christ that died for me as an individual died for us as a church, not just so we could be around other people who were saved, but so that we might be united into one body. We should be so intimate with Christ that when we eat this bread and drink this this cup that we are celebrating and understanding what he's done for us and then looking around the room and saying, and it applies to all of them too, and I should love them and give myself for them. Communion. So when we share this Lord's table, when we share communion together, we're fellowshipping with God, And we're supposed to be fellowshipping with one another in it as well. That we look around and understand we're not alone. We understand we are intimately tied together spiritually. Now, as to whether or not we live it out physically, that's another question altogether, isn't it? But we're supposed to be united. This communion, this Lord's table, this Eucharist, it's supposed to be a celebration of interdependence and community and oneness. We are completely dependent upon Jesus as our only hope, and then we are dependent upon one another to find strength, to find help, to find joy, to find you know a, a good meal together, a great laugh together, support when we're weak, encouragement when we're downtrodden. Communion should be more than just eating bread and drinking juice, it is supposed to be An all-encompassing experience for us that takes us beyond just a pop it in, amen, chug it down, amen, to a point where we say this has meaning and we sit and we ponder and we think about it. Remember the Passover meal in which Jesus instituted this? It was not a 20-minute let's get and go kind of thing. They would have started at sundown. And the only rule for the meal was they had to be done by Passover. I mean, by, by midnight. Um, they had to be done by midnight. Sorry, I just dirted myself. That was weird. That's not very professional of me. I'll work on that. Um, but <laughs> they had to be done by midnight. So there, there's this six-hour window in which to consume this meal and celebrate this time and fellowship together. And yet too often in our church life, what is communion? Communion. It's tagged on at the end of the service. All right, everybody get your bread, get your juice. Amen, let's go. Or it's something we do very rarely and we we don't celebrate often. We don't fellowship with God. We don't fellowship with one another. And some of that is is the fault of, of leaders like me who forget to schedule it in sometimes. Ah, it doesn't fit the sermon today. I'll do it next week and then forget next week. But some of it is because that's what our modern culture longs for, isn't it? and easy, and we don't want real fellowship. We don't really want to think about what Jesus did for us. We just want to say it's all good and let's go home. And so I wanted to spend a little bit more time to understand these elements, these things that make up our communion. Bread, it's symbolic of the body of Christ given for us. Some of you have maybe heard... um, somebody say, this is the body of Christ broken for us. And um, that's actually not quite right. Jesus' body was not broken in the sense of none of his bones were broken and none of his flesh was torn or rent from him. But instead, that body, that flesh was completely given for us. It is a whole sacrifice. It is a complete gift. And so Jesus' body is given for us. And There's two big things that Christ's body being given, two big things it means for us. Number one, Jesus took the physical punishment for our sins. And this should be like huge in our minds when we think of the bread, when we consume this bread, when we understand we take in and participate what Jesus In what Jesus has done for us. He took the literal physical punishment for our sins. You and I, for every infraction upon God, we deserve not just an eternal consequence, but we literally deserve physical consequences in the here and now. I mean, it's like when a child misbehaves, has anyone ever instituted corporal punishment? It's deserved. It is right. It is just. And for us the ultimate consequence of our sin the pult, ultimate punishment for our sin physically is to die. And yet Jesus in giving his body died for us. Hebrews 10:10 10, 10 says and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus Jesus Christ, excuse me, once for all. What is it that makes us holy? What is it that removes the consequences or or the punishment for sin? It is the death of Jesus in his body once for all. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus, he himself bore the punishment for your sin in his body as he hung on that cross. Now, if you think about physical punishment, you think about corporal discipline for one infraction or one sin, can you imagine paying the price for so many sins, so many infractions? Now, Jesus had this beautiful advantage he was fully God and fully man. And so he had the ability to pay the price completely in the type of payment that was required, and it could be applied to your life and to mine. First Peter 2.24 then says, He himself bore our sins on that cross. First Peter 3.8, Peter goes on to write, For Christ also suffered once for sins, The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus suffered for your sins physically to bring you to God, to bring you to life spiritually. 1 John 2 2 says this, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sin, or not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation. Anybody know? Big fancy word. It really just means payment. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the payment. He's the one who took the cost for your sin on his own body and suffered the consequences of your sins. And mine, and not just you and me, but for everyone who would believe. And so when we eat the bread, it should remind us that Jesus physically bore the consequences of your sin and mine. So it's not just a little wafer that dries your mouth out. It's symbolic of the body of Christ that paid a payment for you that you yourself could not pay. And in so doing, made it possible for you to walk in relationship with the Father. The second thing that the body of Christ given for us, the second thing the bread should remind us of, is that Jesus' obedience in the flesh, it has been credited to us as righteousness. In other words, as Jesus walked a perfect, sinless life, in obedience, perfect obedience to the Father, perfect obedience to the law, he was essentially creating an inheritance for everyone who would believe on him. So that when we believe, that inheritance of righteousness of perfection is given to us credited to us so that we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ it's like a dirty horrible despicable person being taken out of the worst of conditions stripped bare scrubbed clean and clothed in the best clothes there are to be brought before the king of creation that is what Jesus' obedience has done for us. Romans five nineteen. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Who was the one man who made us all sinners? Oh, it's four letters. Adam, yes, Adam. He set the stage for us. We are now destined to fall into sin because of the gift of sin nature that Adam purchased for us. Just like the gift of sin and disobedience that came from Adam, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. One man made many sinners by his disobedience, but the new Adam, Christ, he makes us all righteous by his obedience in the flesh. So the bread should remind us that as we partake of Christ, as we participate with Christ, as we commune with him, the father looks at us and he doesn't see the list of things that we keep against ourselves. What he sees is the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says this For our sake he made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin Jesus took the punishment for our sins physically so that in him in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God we might be clothed in righteousness because of what Jesus has done the flesh so this bread gives us two powerful pictures jesus took the physical punishment for our sins and jesus obedience that life that perfect sinless life of obedience when we've trusted on him as lord and savior when we participate with him it's credited to us as righteousness and perfection in the eyes of the father So the juice, the juice, it's symbolic of the the blood of Christ. It's been shed for us. The significance of, of Christ's blood being shed, there's two different ways it affects us. Number one, God sealed a new contract with us by the blood of Jesus Christ. God sealed this brand new contract, this new covenant with us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we look in the Old Testament, I already mentioned, you know, that blood of the covenant in the the book of Exodus. There's also a practice of sacrificing animals in order to seal a contract between two people. And in sacrificing the animal, you were making a statement. May it be to, to me the same as it is to this animal if I break this contract, You were essentially saying, my life would be forfeit if I break this contract. What's interesting is God preemptively forfeited the life of his son in order to seal the contract, the promise. And what is that promise? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us what that promise looks like. That whoever will confess with their mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that person will be saved. The new contract is, believe and confess and you will be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Believe and confess. There is no special good works you have to do. You don't have to get right first. But instead, it is simply this new contract, believe and confess. And here's how we understand that this contract is, is instituted by the blood of Jesus, that we're reminded of this contract by this cup. Matthew in uh, chapter 26, verse 28, in his version of the Lord's Supper or communion, he says that Jesus said, that, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Mark uh, 14, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Luke 22, 20, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new contract for all who would believe and confess sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, look, I copied and pasted. Um, and forgot to delete one. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five says this, In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the Apostle Paul reminding the church of Corinth what communion was about. Over and over again we see there is a new contract established in the blood of Jesus. A new covenant that anyone who would believe and confess will be saved. And so every time we drink of the juice, we drink of the cup, we understand what the contract is. It's not, give me your firstborn child. It's not, follow these rules. It's not, live here, stand there, say this, dress that way. It is, whoever will believe and confess will be saved. It is a contract sealed with the blood of Jesus. God is so serious about this. He sealed the contract, not with the blood of animals, not with a sacrifice of a creature, but instead with the blood of the Son of God Himself. The second thing that juice and and the cup remind us of is that the shed blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from the guilt of sin. You see, there's two things. One thing is to take the punishment, right? And the other is to remove the guilt. If we're talking about in a modern context, and you were charged with something and found guilty, and someone else stood up and said, I'll serve the jail time, or I'll do the community service, that would be nice, wouldn't it? If someone took the punishment for your wrongdoing, but you would still be guilty of the crime. You had still been pronounced guilty, deserving punishment. It was simply that someone else took your punishment. They took your place. The blood of Jesus, according to scripture, after Jesus has taken our place in the punishment physically, his shed blood cleanses us from the guilt of sin, and then we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so there is now nothing that stands between us and a right relationship with the Father. The punishment has been taken. The guilt has been removed. We're clothed in righteousness, and we're part of a contract that will never be revoked when we believe and confess. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says this, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In other words, justified, it is made right by the blood of Jesus. Our sin cleansed in right standing with the Father. Colossians 1.20 And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from guilt and makes peace with the Father. Hebrews 9.22, the writer of Hebrews says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin and then a little later he says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify or cleanse or set apart the people through his own blood. So we see that the, the shedding of blood, blood, it, it cleanses us from sin and Jesus' blood, him, the blood of Jesus himself is what cleanses us, sanctifies us, makes us holy and set apart. So when we drink the cup, when we drink the juice, it's not just a neat little symbol, but it is so rich and so meaningful and so deep. Because as we celebrate communion, we're supposed to be doing more than just partaking of the elements. We're supposed to be doing things like giving thanks for the price that was paid for us. Uh, In other of the Gospels, there's a, a woman who anoints Jesus with expensive perfume, wipes his feet with her hair. Everybody makes fun of her. It's reminiscent of what Mary did in Bethany. And, and they, they start harshing her, and they start you know, saying, why would you behave like this? And, and Jesus really points it out. The, the one who has been forgiven much loves deeply. We love God more when we understand what we've been forgiven of. We appreciate this gift when we understand the price that was paid. And those of us who have the longer list of sins, instead of condemning ourselves, we need to flip that around and make that our thanksgiving list. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my selfishness. Jesus, thank you for paying the price ...for my gluttony. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for paying the price... ...for my unbridled anger. Jesus, thank you for paying the price... ...for my tendency to lie. Jesus, thank you for paying the price... ...for my covetousness. Instead of a list of condemnation... ...flip it around... ...and as you celebrate the Lord's table... ...as you celebrate communion... Give thanks for the fact that Jesus, in his body, paid the price for that laundry list of things you dislike about yourself. He paid the price for every one of those sins. And it's time for you to learn how to let go of them as you partake of communion and participate with Jesus. We also get the privilege of celebrating relationship with God and each other. It seems a little bit cultish sometimes to watch everybody in the room go, But understand, as you watch that, as you see that happening, as as in your periphery you see everybody putting the the wafer in their mouth or drinking a little shot glass of juice, that it's because they want to experience Christ like you do. They want to experience communion with the ever-loving God like you do. And we should look around and celebrate our connectedness, not just to Christ, but to one another. So we celebrate relationship as we partake of communion. We should also rejoice in the power of the body and the blood, reminding ourselves as we partake of the body that Jesus took our, the physical punishment for our sins and that Jesus' perfect lived life is credited to us as righteousness when we believe on him. We should also remember the blood and how the shed blood of Jesus starts a brand new covenant with God that whoever will believe and confess will be saved. And that our, cleans- our sins are completely washed away and there is no more guilt. And then it's important for us also as we partake of communion to contemplate our response to the sacrifice. Now, some of us, if we were to imagine the best life ever. It would be, you know, getting everything we could need or want given to us, and we would be so appreciative, wouldn't we? I mean, if if we just had everything we needed, we would be so thankful. It's interesting, uh, you know, you can watch teenagers who get their first car. When mom and dad pay for it, and they have no responsibility, oftentimes they wreck it soon. When they pay for it themselves, those are the ones where the car is a piece of junk but they wax it right they shine the tires they clean the motor it barely runs but they value it because they understand the price that was paid for it they understand that it cost something to have that vehicle we as we partake of communion Should understand the price that was paid for us. And we should contemplate our response. Some of us take this brand new life, this forgiveness of sins, this new contract, and we drive it way too fast, and we trash it, and we neglect it, and we treat it like it's nothing. Oh, God will give me a new one. But as we partake of communion and we remember the price that was paid for each of us, what will our response be? My hope is that as we partake of communion and we remember the price paid, our response is one more where we're we're shining the tires. It's a little beat up. It's a little rough. But man, we're waxing this thing and we 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 are honoring it and we are loving ourselves and our lives and we are honoring God with our choices because we know the price that's been paid for us we then contemplate what our response to the sacrifice will be. How will we walk out of the room after we eat the bread and drink the juice? The same as we always were? Or ready to change in order to honor Jesus and the price that was paid? So I want to ask you now, we're not going to do music. We're not going to like try and gin up emotion. We're going to take a few moments and pause and pause. And sharing communion together. And so go ahead and pull out your elements. And I realize this feels a little sterile. It feels a little odd. We're still, you know, working through the figuring out what COVID is supposed to be and how we're going to live with it. But as we partake of the body, I just want to ask you this morning, as you open it up, as you get ready to eat that little wafer, to just take a few moments here in the silence and to contemplate the truth that Jesus has taken the physical punishment for your sins and mine. He took that that punishment that you deserve for sin in His body. Can you imagine what He felt as He was whipped, as He was hung on a cross, as He was mocked and scorned, he did all that to pay for you and your sins. But then also to celebrate as you eat it, remembering that that perfect life of Jesus in which he never disobeyed Mary or Joseph, and he always walked in faithfulness to his Father God, and in perfect obedience, that perfect life when you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, it's credited to you as righteousness. He paid the price for your wrongdoing. And he gave all of the goodness of himself to clothe you so that you might stand before the Father holy and perfect and without stain. So, I'm going to leave it to you over the next couple of minutes. I'm not going to tell you when to eat it. I'm not going to tell you when to partake of it. But I will begin with saying This is the body of Christ given for you as you ponder it this morning, as you decide when to take it, as you take it, remember what he's done for you. together, I want you to remember that this cup should always remind you that God has sealed a new contract with us by the blood of Jesus, and that the shed blood of Jesus cleanses you from the guilt of all sin. First John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this morning as we partake of the cup, according to your timing, I want you to remember these things and to hold in your mind that this cup is the blood of Christ shed for you for the remission of your sins and to seal this new covenant. And every time you drink it, I want to encourage you to drink it in remembrance of I want to invite our worship team members to make their way forward as they wrap up. Don't want to rush them. And for everyone else, every time we partake of communion, whether it's a quick addendum to the service or something more drawn out and explanatory like this, I hope that you carry with you what you've learned today that you will remember that in his body Christ took the punishment for your sin and stored up for you a perfect store of righteousness to clothe you in and that by his blood your salvation is sure sealed as an everlasting contract by the blood of the Son of God, and your sins are washed away, and the guilt is completely gone. Jude 24 and 25 says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God alone will keep and preserve us. We celebrate communion to partake in His power and the sacrifice of Christ. And I want you to celebrate that He will keep you. He will preserve you. He will bring you to that final conclusion. He deserves all the glory, all the worship, both now and forevermore. Let's stand together and sing. blood restored renewed forgiven made his people drawn together may we celebrate not just every once in a while but as often as we gather together who we are in Christ what he's done for us and what he longs to do through us God bless you all I look forward to seeing you Bible studies throughout the week and youth group and stuff Um, and then next Sunday we'll continue our series in the gospel of Mark. God bless you guys